What's up, everyone? This is Mitch from RespectOrigin.com, back with another episode of the RMR Podcast. Today, I'm joined by special guest Mike Boudry, CEO and founder of Herbal. How are you doing today, Mike? Excellent, Mitch. Good to see you. Awesome. Likewise, man, I know we're just catching up a, a little bit about some some cannabis content and history in the game. And, and, and on that note, you know, I, I start every one of these episodes off with uh, our host origin story around the plant, the plant being cannabis. So I'm just kind of curious a little bit uh, of your origin story with cannabis, both personally, professionally. Personally, it's up to you to share whatever you want to share. Sure. But, uh, you know, welcome the forum to understand you and cannabis. Love it. So I was the uh, youngest of three boys in my family, four years younger than the oldest, three years younger than the middle. So I was uh, dragged along, if you will. Um, I was always ahead of my time because of that. So I was, <clears throat> when they were 15 and 16 and me being 12, 13, you know, I was trying things that they were already trying. So <clears throat> I got introduced to cannabis probably at, you know, about 12 or 13 years old um, and found that, uh, found that I liked it. So I actually um, began really the cannabis journey for me started around then. I, I was the kid who, you know, was frankly wearing a pot leaf belt buckle through high school. Um, you know, I was buying weed and turning it into joints because we didn't call them pre-rolls back then and selling joints in school and all that fun stuff. So for me, it was uh, my love of, of cannabis, you know, really goes right, right back to my you know, youth and uh, never really wavered. You know, on a professional side, for me, the journey was pretty long. <clears throat> I uh, I went down a very different path in, in my career. You know, I smoked a lot of weed all the way through high school and post high school went into business and frankly had to, you know, probably smoke a little less weed, but I, I certainly smoked along the way. Um, but, you know, the professional journey that took me to herbal really was a lifetime in supply chain. So I spent three decades in various forms of supply chain. Um, a decade of that was with the leading distributor of organic natural products in the US. So I had um, a company is called UNFI. So uh, we had facilities across the country. We serviced Whole Foods obviously, and, and all about 10,000 independent natural food stores. So <clears throat> that journey of 10 years from 99 to 2010 was small independent brand, small independent retailer for the most part, and growing a, a very high growth new industry. So in uh, 2014, I started looking over the fence, seeing lots of articles come out around cannabis, fascinated as I was reading them saying, wow, this actually might become a legal thing. And, you know, maybe ultimately a supply chain and a CPG style, you know, business. So I started looking at in 2014, I went to the trade show in Vegas. Um, and I attended MJ BizCon, um, dubbed the biggest trade show of the year at the time. Um, I'm sure you were there. So, um, but it was honestly that trip around that show, Mitch, that I was hooked. I, I literally felt like all those years of supply chain and learnings and working with brands and retail that uh, all just readied me for that moment. And uh, so that was November 14. I went back in November 15 to the show. I had a really busy year with the business I was, I was a CEO of at the time. Um, but I fell in love again in 2015, twice as much, I think, because I quit my job a month later in December of 15. I moved to California in February of 16 and began what is now a six-year journey in cannabis in terms of professionally. Um, the idea of herbal was really born around 
the UNFI years, you know, um, with the, you know, with brands coming into the market needing a platform to get, especially national brands, to be able to to get on a national platform. There wasn't many of them, certainly in the natural organic space. So UNFI provided that. So for me, it was an excitement around, imagine if we can start a company at the very beginning of the industry. You know, I say beginning in terms of how it was going to change into, you know, finished products, et cetera. Um, I got really excited about, uh, you know, me, what I could honestly lend to the industry with my experience and very high, you know, high scale supply chain. So that's really kind of what brought me here. So it was a interesting collision, if you will, love of the plant and a you know, fan of the plant for, you know, all close to 40 years. So I, uh, I was pretty excited when uh, this industry, I, I started to realize at that trade show, I think it was in November of 15, I said, I don't think we're going to get a at least today, you know, mm. so maybe this will actually become legal and we can actually, you know, build a business around it. So that was really the uh, the origin story. Well, yeah, thank thank you for sharing and being vulnerable with, with a lot of that information. I, I think for me personally, and, and something I hear in that is in your response as well, is that, you know, life, like all your experiences in life, not to take it too spiritual, but all your, your experiences in life, like relate to one another and, and build to the moment you get to. But how cool is it for you to have like this passion of cannabis, kind of having to push that to the side to to go into business and the professional route. And then all of a sudden, both of these worlds can just collide in a way that they've never been able to collide before. Yeah, it's kind of a it was kind of a goosebump moment. Honestly, I still remember in the in November of 14, I was in like the third third booth and I, I couldn't stop asking people questions. And of course, back in 14, people didn't like you asking them questions, right? <laughs> I had a lot of questions. And so there was a lot of, there was a lot of discomfort in me asking questions, but what I was doing was trying to understand. I was so fascinated, but it was honestly by the third booth that I was like, oh, there's no way if this is going to become, you know, a thing, a supply chain, a, a business, a CPG style business eventually that I can't be part of it. So yeah, that was a, it was an interesting collision for sure. And then it, at what year did did Herbal come into existence? So I moved, I, did, I resigned from my job in December of 15. I moved to California, to Santa Barbara, California in February of 16, two months later. And honestly just began, I was consulting for a couple of companies um, in cannabis. Um, and um, it was a few months into that, I said, I got to start a distribution business. And honestly, it was at the time, Mitch, it was it was almost a little bit laughed at, like, I'm sorry, but what what would that be for? Right. Like you're going to start a distribution business. Why doesn't that just add cost to the supply chain and all the normal questions and, and you know, that would would occur. Um, but what I thought was that if we positioned the build of it early and, you know, built the capability to service the market that eventually the you know, the need would 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 meet, you know, in the middle. And I think that's largely what's happened. Um, probably not at the speed I would, would have predicted in the, you know, in the world of food, um, in the supply chain of food, if you're a brand, you really have to have a distributor. There's no such thing as I'm going to self-distribute, right? Um, in cannabis, you can still do it. There's about a, you know, we service about a thousand doors in California. Um, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know of a brand that's in all doors for sure, but I, I know if you're even in 70% of that, it's pretty challenging to, to service seven, 800 doors, you know? Um, so I knew that building the capability would ultimately become a, a really important aspect to help a brand build a brand and ultimately 
to help the dispensary be more efficient because the other the thing that happened in the food industry is it collapsed in terms of the brands even if they were locally self-distributing it became very difficult because the retailer couldn't see that many brands they couldn't transact with that many different people so when you see dispensaries today and you see you know probably there's i'm sure plenty that are 75 100 different suppliers that they're working with i can tell you at a walmart store they're, they're probably under under 10 right mm -hmm. everything's consolidated to a groups of distributors so that they can be very efficient in the, in the you know at the retail level so um so I, I still think that's going to be the case. You know, if you play this out and say there's 2,000 doors or 3,000 doors, you know, in the next, who knows how many years at this point, right? But it's, you know, it's gonna happen. Um, it's gonna be very challenging for each and every brand to say, I'm gonna self-distribute to 3,000 locations in California. So the distribution platforms that are being built and <clears throat> that have been built like Herbal um, will become a very important aspect of how a brand goes to market and how a retailer, frankly, is very efficient at retail. Absolutely. And that's, you know, I, I live in Washington, but I do a lot of work and have a lot of clients in California. So, you know, the, the sheer population and geographic size of California presents this glaring need for distribution, whereas yeah. opposed in, in Washington, it's self-distributed. Maybe you have people that do distribution in terms of just the deliveries of products to take that ease off of smaller operations. Um, but you're absolutely right. There's this inevitable future as cannabis matures and becomes a CPG good. I'm from the culture. I know there's a clash oftentimes between, you know, the business world and the culture. Sure. People need to wrap their heads around. There is an inevitable end game or it's going to start looking a certain ways. It gets down to the end game. And I think you're absolutely right of understanding how fragmented this industry is from the self-distribution standpoint to the retail standpoint of, I, I can't converse. I, if I'm trying to do my job as a buyer and fill inventory and look at data and I have people coming in 24 seven email 20, you know, it's much easier to deal with smaller batches. Like you said, if, if a Walmart, who's the, uh, you know, the pinnacle of, of wide scale product offerings and, and distribution at, at a wide scale level, you know, I think there is definitely some things that, that that the culture and the industry can learn from, yeah. from these established business models. Yeah, and it's interesting, Mitch, because people will say to me, like, "Well, you're from Rhode Island, Mike. Why don't you know? Why didn't you start there?" And I think it's a classic example of of your point. Of there's, I believe, five dispensaries in in Rhode Island today, and I think with the new adult use legislation, they would just pass as the 19th state. Um, I think there's going to be five more. We can't set up a distribution business yeah. to service ten doors, right? So. I, I, you know, when people come to us and we have conversations about representing their brand, they'll they'll say, well, I'm still not sure I need a distributor. And I say, well, how many stores are you in? 70. How many do you want to be in? I don't I don't make enough to be in more than, you know, 100. I said, look, you can do it yourself, actually. What you can't do, well, you, I shouldn't say can't. What is very difficult to do is service a thousand. You have mm -hmm. to kind of build what a distributor would build, you know, the infrastructure, the technology, the people, the SOPs. Um, but I think there's a there's going to be a an absolute need um, as this progresses. And I am very anti-corporate. <clears throat> Although I worked in a really large company, I I think I was always the person at the you know uh, at the out, end of the table, so to speak, who was the anti-corporate voice. So when I talk about you know bringing bringing things to look like a Walmart at their back door, it's not to be corporate. It's to be efficient because the, mm -hmm. the dispensaries today are going to have to be efficient. You know, and that an efficiency comes in. 
I, I'm making the number up, but I buy from 10 distributors and I, I make, again, making numbers up, but from a hundred brands, I get 10 distributors and that's how I conduct my business. I use my data to support my, you know, my assortment. And these are the groups that I use. It's very efficient. They, they drop a pallet. I receive it a certain way. And, you know, that's, that's where I think this will go eventually. Um, in the meantime, we've built a company that's very accommodating and, and we can do whatever is necessary to, you know, to facilitate a, a backdoor delivery. And, and I know you mentioned, you know, being, being an East coast native and, and the importance of California, but I'm, I'm also kind of curious the importance to you of, of building out not just the proof of concept, but the company, the, the SLPs and the understanding around the state of California and what that means in terms of getting that experience and understanding and then leveraging and scaling to other markets. Yeah, I think I, I honestly think, Mitch, you know, choosing California for me was almost like, again, from a from a distribution eyes, especially is I needed to go to the large supply chain and figure it out there because figuring out a you know, a state that has 50, 50 retail doors. I mean, that's frankly, that's not all that hard. Um, it's pretty complicated with geography and the, the size of California and the complexity of it all. And the fact that it's, you know, 1996 is when it went, you know, you know, medically legal. So I knew that building something that could scale was very, very important. And the neat part is I was super fortunate to, you know, surround myself with folks who've done both cannabis for a very long time, for decades, you know, specifically in California and folks with my, you know, supply chain background. So we've got this hybrid team that really understands the plant, really understands, you know, the, the legacy aspect and, and the respect for the legacy piece of this, but also really understands how to scale. So when we built this, um, we, we've truly built it. We call it rinse and repeat, but we could rinse and repeat this across the country. It's what I personally did for, you know, a decade of my life when I was at UNFI, we opened facilities across the country, opened up new markets, <clears throat> stood up new facilities, et cetera, et cetera. So that is a muscle that we, the company has, you know, done extremely strong in the past. And the way in which we've built herbal is, is so that it's repeatable. Now, you know, full well that the that regulatory schemes are very different state to state. So it's not like it's a, <clears throat> it's a plug and play into another state with herbals model as it is. In 2021, in June of 21, a year ago, we we um, acquired, merged the two companies of Blackbird and, and Herbal together. Um, so we've got this amazing team and this amazing technology set and a capability that's a little bit different than ours. So we are a full service distributor as Herbal. Um, the re regulatory scheme is different in Nevada. So they have a, you know, a different version of it based on the scheme of regulatory. So we have that, um, you know, two state muscle now. We've learned a lot <clears throat> with each other over the last year, uh, over the differences. And so one of the ways in which we knew to go across the country is to make sure we also had the flexibility to institute different models depending on the regulatory. Absolutely. And what, what are some of the similarities, you know, I'll start off with that, similarities that you're seeing between Nevada and California? Obviously, are different markets culturally you know, the tourism is a little bit different in each yeah. of those states. So that, that makes the end consumer a little bit different. But what are some of the similarities that, that that seem to pop up between each state? You know, I'd say that the the probably the most basic thing that's similar is if you visit the stores, yes, different brands, different product, but format wise, you know, the types of products they carry and the way in which they sell them, the way in which they merchandise them, we see a lot of similarities. So, you know, I think the it gets different clearly in states that don't have, you know, they have packaging 
um, regulations that require certain things that are, you can't make them look like a regular CPG product, et cetera. But, um, but I, think, I think the similarity to Nevada is actually they're very similar other than the regulatory is provide, you know, prevent certain things. So for instance, in Nevada, you can only hold product at distribution for 72 hours and a classic distributor is keeping, you know, two, three, four weeks of inventory on hand to support the business. And so that's a change in which they had to, you know, build tech to support that. So the tech's built um, so that they can pick it up from the supplier, um, you know, manufacturer and get it to the dispensary in a very short time, typically same day, you know, or next day. So um, that is, that's a muscle that was built there for that specific reason. And there's other states that will, that are similar in, in regulatory. So it's something that we can actually plug into uh, other markets. And is that for you guys, like future growth is where the, the regular regulations kind of match up the easiest kind of make the sense for yeah. the next target? Yeah. For instance, Mitch, we wouldn't, we wouldn't go to a state that's a full vertical. If we have to grow it, manufacture it, retail it, um, that's not, that's, that won't be our model, you know? Um, so it really needs to be in states that have a supply chain that has segments to it, like California. Um, <clears throat> so I think ultimately there'll be plenty of them. I, early on, I think the way in which a lot of states have chosen to roll out their regulatory is based on what they sense as a, a sense of control. So um, they, you know, there's a bunch of states that feel like a vertical is the easiest way because Mitch owns the grow, Mitch owns the manufacturing facility, Mitch owns the retail, you know, and Mitch owns the delivery service. So um, I think there's a, a bit of that. That'll, my my opinion, that'll loosen over time. And I think states will um, probably adopt a more, I'd say the, the more sophisticated from a supply chain perspective is California. There isn't many industries that, truly are vertical, like I just described and, you know, using Florida as an example. Um, so I, I, I think over time, you're going to see states as they come on, right, adult use, I think you'll see some adoption, something probably a little more similar. New York is similar to California, as an example. Um, I think Jersey has a lot of similarities. So there are states certainly coming on that are more similar. Um, and there's plenty of states to go. And I, I, you know, the hope is that they adopt a supply chain, you know, um, that looks a little bit more like California. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's definitely uh state by state. Everyone does something a little bit right, a little bit wrong. And these new states coming online, I mean, they got the luxury of picking and sometimes they do a decent job. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes not. Sometimes yeah. Poor decisions, sometimes it's really bad. Uh, but I think that's, uh, you know, that's government in, in general. I don't, they, yeah. they hopefully don't shoot a hundred percent. You know, something that you mentioned that, that stood out to me in a, in a couple minutes ago was, you know, that that importance to you of having that leadership and that ear of people that understand the plant and, and the culture and, and just cannabis and then also understanding business. You know, um, there's so many times in this space, you know, I kind of touched on earlier, there's just this war between the culture and business. And some people think it has to be 100 percent this way, 100 percent. Yeah, this way, I obviously, you know, again, that inevitable future is some sort of marriage between the two. And I think the brands that able, whether it's ancillary tech support or flower touching, the brands that understand that are the ones that really do a great job. And two of the ones I know you guys distribute for them in California, you know, Cookies and Jungle Boys are two of the largest brands, if not the largest brands in cannabis as far as a brand side. But also they, they clearly, you know, they're clearly 
from the culture have their 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 hand on the culture. So I'm just curious, kind of your your thoughts on on those two brands and what it's been like thus far uh, uh, working with them. I think you hit it right on the head. They are from the culture, and they've you know I think they're two of um, you know a small amount that have that have truly broken out you know and became more main, clearly cookies you know with how many states they're in and Jungle Boys now pushing into other states clearly how mainstream they've the names become but in a really good way right it's not in a um a classic cpg you know naming convention where it got popular by design of of the reach of the brand um they both got i think very popular by design of you know who who's at the you know the helm of the companies and the culture of the companies the quality of the of the flower uh the genetic selection and, and et cetera et cetera so i think they've done all the things right to be able to become a, a national well-known brand. Um, you know, I think Herbal's, Herbal's role in the supply chain, any distributor role is really as a support of the brand. We really do sit in the middle as a servant to both the dispensary and the brand partner. Um, and if we do our jobs well, uh, which we do most days, um, then that's, that's really where we hit the sweet spot. We're providing, you know, this access and reach for a brand to get out to, you know, and, and really touch the market and execute uh, into market. And then from a, you know, from a, from a dispensary perspective, our job is really to sit and bring those best in class brands to them. Certainly with the data that we have, you know, we, we purchased some data, you know, syndicated data, and then we have a, a good amount of our own data. We've been operating for almost four years now. And we also have a very large team in market between sales uh inside sales the leadership of sales you know we have close to 29 people and that lead that effort so we have a lot of touch points into the market that we can be providing data back you know and really help both the brand partner and the and the uh, dispensary partner um but it's been a um you know a, a great journey working with brands that are really have that legacy respect you know well-deserved legacy respect Absolutely. And, and those, you know, those are also some of the brands. There's a couple other ones out there that drive consumer demand, you know, in the cannabis space, high THC price. Those are definitely the main drivers for consumer purchase uh, behavior. But there's also this aspect of, of brands, two of the ones we mentioned, and there are also some others that actually require, you know, from my end of looking at the data of web searches and stuff, what what brand actually what br search query that has a brand name, it actually results in landing on a menu. There's not a ton of them out there. From your perspective of being that middleman between retail and brand, how much of it do you feel like is on the retail requesting what brands there's consumer demand for versus ones that just kind of fit the right price point and the right product that the kind of consumer wants that not no disrespect to the brand, but you could kind yeah. of brand secondary, right? To the, to the yeah. other aspects. What, what's your thoughts on kind of that? I, I think there's certain categories, Mitch, that a brand can be a bit secondary. I, I ultimately think the brands will win, meaning that it'll become the most important thing. Um, just like CPG. I mean, that's just the way it, you don't you don't go in and say, I, I have a cheaper product with a higher strength, therefore I can win. You can't do that in CPG. I'd say in the meantime, you know, in the it's still in the early innings here. I think they're there's certainly, and that is the problem with, you know, brand spends a lot of money and they spend a lot of effort and they can get upended in a death by a thousand cuts of a bunch of folks who are bringing product to market, you know, at a cheaper price, you know, maybe similar quality, maybe maybe a little bit better, maybe a little bit higher THC, maybe the same THC, but it's really challenging 
um, for a brand to hold their position um, in this market when the, the entrance to market is actually not that difficult. Uh, not that difficult, meaning I can put um, you know, a flower in a, in a pouch and I can run to market and I, you know, I know 50 doors and I can therefore build a brand, right? And I, that's a bit of that mentality. So when I say death by a thousand cuts, yes, the brand's extremely important and, and that, that importance is growing. But if someone comes in and says, I have a flower that's a bigger nug than that, higher THC and a dollar cheaper per eighth, there's a very good chance that that's going to get slotted. You know, I don't necessarily, it, a lot of times we haven't seen that it necessarily slots over the brand, meaning they re remove the brand, but bringing it in and putting it next to the brand is, you know, just as disruptive at times. Um, what we've seen over the last four years is that when you put the, it's almost this beautiful match. If you have the right quality and clearly the THC percent matters a lot, um, but if you have the right quality, the right THC percentage, genetic profile and price, and I know it sounds like, well, no kidding, Mike, that sounds pretty simple, but it's actually pretty hard to do, as you know, Mitch. Um, to, when you hit that sweet spot, that's when we see magic happen with brands. So if someone says, hey, that is not the best flower I've ever smoked, but wow, is it the best flower I've ever smoked at that price, right? When that happens, we've seen a lot. Nope, you there, Mike? Yep, I'm here. Okay, we just lost you for half a sec. That's no technology worries. for us. Yep. Um, no, that that that's that that was a great answer, and I think I think also you know because that's another one of those conversation pieces that I think people kind of lean on. Brands matter more than anything. Brands don't matter, and I think you're right. Like it is in the CPG space, like brands do matter no matter the product, and even if you are the lower cost, right? No one's brand offering is brand secondary where price and whatever that might be why you like the brand but that name that logo that packaging becomes you know becomes understood whether we're talking about soap whether we're talking about liquor whether we're talking about cannabis it doesn't, it doesn't matter still having a brand that's identifiable and you can when you see it you understand what it stands for whether it is hype best quality luxury or it is the cheap stuff it doesn't really matter you know no, you make that I, I think it's you're, you're spot on mitch and if you you know using a like a food aisle as an example you don't go to the you know in whole foods you don't go to the yogurt section and every week see six new yogurts you know like oh there's a there's a greek yogurt at a lower price right it's not the way it works they they establish those brand partnerships and they lean in behind those brands and if the brand fails it's because they've given it the chance they've given it the platform um and they've given it the push and when they fail they take them out and they put something else in its place you know but um it's going to be a minute i think before cannabis acts in that you know i'll say methodical fashion and i get it there's so many options right a dispensary has gets rained on on any given day with options and they're trying to constantly you know and it's it's a really difficult business and hard to make money so they're trying their best to lean in and say, hey, I got, I've got to make good decisions and good buying decisions for my store. Um, and I think that they're doing the best they can given the very difficult environment, you know. Absolutely. And and someone, you know, something that, I've, that I learned, I feel like in the legacy side of things is that consistent relationship and supply chain will outweigh the person that's consistently chasing for a deal 
not necessarily the consumer, right? I mean, if you're trying to satisfy the consumer, that's a hard consumer demographic to satisfy. But as, as a retailer, as an outlet, a distribution outlet, you know, having those relationships pays dividends over time as opposed to let me switch up to this brand because I can get a pound for $300 cheaper or whatever, you know, that consistent 100%. switch is not sustainable. Yeah, that's by the way, that it's interesting, Mitch, because that's really how mature supply chain, you just described a mature supply chain as well. So, so what happened in the legacy market, right? They're like, well, Mitch, Mitch isn't the price necessarily that a person before came in, but Mitch is here every Thursday. He has fireweed every time. He's got good pricing. I can make good money on the stuff I buy from him. I like Mitch. That's the, that's actually how big, large scale supply chains work. The companies like Costco, like where I, I mean, years, for years I worked with Costco, Costco, their selection process isn't just the brand. It's also the execution of the person they're working with, you know, the company they're working with. They need to know as a retailer, I'm going to put pallets out, you know, every day. I need to make sure that you can have that pallet full every day. Right. And I think the execution side of this is, is plays a really, really important role. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that herbal can help do is facilitate that execution and, and be consistent, um, you know, with the footprint that we have, the truck count that we have, the people that we have, the technology that we have, that's really why it's all built. And, and outside of that consistency in that relationship, what are some of those other things that, that whether they're already or there still kind of need some time to mature and come to the space, but what are some of those elements you feel like that are gonna help kind of bridge that gap between the retailer and the brands? Data, for sure. Um, I think data is grossly underused today. Um, and I think it's because everyone's busy. I mean, as, as silly as that sounds, it's actually the truth. I think data is one of those things you've got to stop, scrub it, look at it, beat it up, argue with it, and then make decisions from it. And that's, that's, that's a process, you know? Um, but I'll tell you from, you know, in a, in a sophisticated supply chain, CPG, you know, multi-decade old like food, um, data plays an extremely important role in everybody, everybody's business. The brand, the distributor, the retailer, the manufacturer, all of them live and die by data. Um, one of the problems I think is existed here is obviously it started with no data, right? Or the data that you had and I had and Sally had and Bob had and like all the different people had, but it wasn't aggregated or, or organized. Uh, companies like Headset and BDS, I think have come in and do a, done a nice job with um, trying to organize that. The, the problem in the early innings here, and we saw the same thing in the Natural Foods Channel. Um, in the Natural Foods Channel, there's a software, um, there's a data company called Spins, and that's you know uh, that's how the Natural Channel gets a peek into how the market's doing and by category. So very similarly, early on when Spins rolled out, the data was, I'll say, directionally accurate, and it got better over time, and that's what I think we're seeing here. Um, all data companies use a sampling. They don't have 100% of the market. So that sample, as you know well, Mitch, in this industry can be pretty different. If you've got X stores in the South, X stores in the North, and um, X stores in San Diego, and you're starting to pool that info and then trying to extrapolate saying, this is the market, not necessarily. <laughs> so um, I think, again, it's getting better, um, but the use of it, I think, has to improve a lot um, for, you know, decisions like assortment, I think a very basic thing that, uh, you know, a retailer does in food is they're constantly understanding their assortment and their assortment isn't picked by price. 
it's not because Mitch came in and said he has a he has similar weed as Mike for 200 bucks less a pound. It's picked because they look at the data and say that brand does indexes really high for that category, you know, in this particular region. And therefore, I need to carry it in my store. So in the world of food, we used to look at things like and say the top 10 items we would look at in a particular region. And then we'd look at and say, what retailer is missing the top 10? So our sales team would be out, you know, helping the retailer, those independent natural food stores and saying, hey, this is, you know, did you know that number two, three and four on the pasta sauce is, is not in stock? You know, you don't actually slot it. And they're really, these are the best movers in, in your entire region. So things like that, I think, are coming. Um, we're working on a lot of stuff behind the scenes that are that will facilitate that. Um, and I know it sounds like that sounds, oh, that's big corporate stuff. Like, but it actually is just for the betterment of the industry. It's just for efficiency and for good decision making and good profit making. And, you know, so I think these are things that uh, we're helping to facilitate for those reasons, not so we can, you know, corporatize cannabis because none of us want that. Uh, at least no one at Herbal. Um, yeah, well, like you said, if, if you're if you're calling someone that they don't carry one of the top movers in that category, it's a way to increase their bottom line. I mean, obviously yeah. you're going to get get your piece of it as it goes through, but it's it's making more money, and that's anyone you know as someone that also has a a third party business, right? If you will, that that supports this industry, the more money my client makes, the more potential money I make. You that's know? right. And, and so even even if I was purely mute, motivated by selfish desires. The recourse of that is who I work with makes more money because I don't make yeah. more money if they don't make more. It's money. really it's really about shelf efficiency, right? And in a in in a large retailers, you know, they look in a they look at a planogram which basically says this is where all the product is and why by category, and then they make decisions within you know each of those each of those categories. I, I don't think that's going to be terribly different than here, you know, hopefully sometime soon. But I think there's a there's a methodology there that makes good sense. So, so if you go in and say, do I need to have 30 distillate vape pens, one gram distillate vape pens? Probably not, you know, but the data would help you with that. And, and then that's, then it's a bit of a trial and everything. Data is certainly not perfect, but data does help guide those decisions, you know? Uh Absolutely. And that's, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head with saying people are busy and you talk to anyone in this industry that I mean, the industry is growing, every business is in this is growing, regulation is constantly changing, it keeps everyone on their toes, yeah. everyone's a startup, everyone's wearing 30 different hats. And you're right, I mean, it's hard sometimes to sit down. I do it more for my clients. My, my business partner was just giving me shit for it. I, we do a better job for our clients than ourselves sometimes of taking the time to pencil in, look at the data and, That's and right. make changes based on it. Yeah, so true. Yeah. So what what else what else does uh, Herbal have on the on the docket or on the horizon for for the rest of 2022 and beyond? You know, um, Herbal's really focused right now on California and Nevada. Um, we've certainly been peeking over the fence at plenty of other states and, and have some work done in certain areas. Um, but we're big believers in the two states that we're in today. And we're also big believers that there's a lot of opportunity. And we're also very aware of the fact that it's a bumpy road right now, as you know, Mitch, out there. So we also want to make sure we're very careful not to put ourselves too wide and not deep enough. You know, So our focus over the, at least the rest of 2022 is really continuing to improve in every way, shape, form we can to be a better partner for a brand, a better partner for a retailer. Um, and as we're, you know, and as we build additional technology, um, you know, 
tremendous amount of effort and, and money has gone into technology over the last four or five years. So we'll, we'll really just continue that and we'll keep a very watchful eye on some other states that we ultimately think will be big opportunities. We don't think they're soon. You know, I, I look at New York and, and New Jersey. These were these were my backyard. I grew up in New England. My, you know, I spent my entire life in New England. I worked in New York City. I worked in New Jersey. I know the areas really well. I know the people. I know the culture. Um, I distributed massive amounts of food into New York City for a decade of my life. So these are all areas we know well, and and at the you know appropriate time, we'll we'll begin putting more attention to it. But um, we think there's still so much opportunity here. We just don't want to go wide and, and not focus on the, the, you know, what's right in front of us. I love that. Yeah, get, get it, get it airtight before we start copying and pasting too much. Bingo. Bingo. I love that. Well, Mike, I, I really appreciate you taking the time at time out to come hop on here. There's a lot of, a lot of gems, man. I took a couple of notes of just stuff that I'm going to personally go back and, and listen to a reference for people out there that want more information. Herbal.com, H-E-R-B-L.com. Uh, again, man, really, thank you for for hopping thanks, on. Mitch. Some, some live yeah, thanks, Mitch. Thanks so much for having me, and I uh, really appreciate it. I lo love what you guys are doing. Awesome. I appreciate that. This is the RMR Podcast.